The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. In conversation with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Hey, Chedville, it's 2.05 on this Wednesday hump day afternoon. Hope you're having a great day. A little chilly out there again today, but things uh, looking like they're going to warm up uh, by the weekend, at least a little bit. It's Jalen Nye, Andrew Gross off today. If you're following him on Twitter, you know he, was, he is in an epic battle. An epic battle with those who are saving the sun chairs at the Mexican resort that he is at with their towels starting at midnight or for five hours starting first thing this morning. It's amusing. It's, um, it's Andrew. I'm sure you'll hear about it next week when he gets back. On the show today, Michael Walters, Ward 10 City Councilor, going to join us in studio at 2.30. At 3 o'clock, we're going to talk with Grant Fedork from Leading Edge Physiotherapy about how to, how to manage acute injuries. Some important stuff because I know a lot of you actually are living with that. 3.30, we'll check in on the Olympics, find out what was happening in Florida today as well with um, some of the protests that uh, were, were being done and some of the speaking engagements that were being done by the students who were involved in that shooting in uh, in Florida on Valentine's Day. First off, though, I am so excited about this. Uh, I, I just love this story. It is called The Last Great Race, and an Alberta man is preparing to compete in it again. The Iditarod, ladies and gentlemen, is a legendary multi-day sled dog race that covers 1,600 kilometers across Alaska. The men, women, and dogs that compete in the Iditarod every year are joining in a long tradition. The first Alaskans used dog sleds long before Europeans arrived here. Later, Russian invaders used them too. In the 1880s, American prospectors rode dog sleds into snowy regions they couldn't get to any other way. Pioneers soon followed, settling Alaska on dog power. Today, the mushers in the Iditarod honor those days. They follow a route that was forged during a famous Alaska rescue. It happened in January 1925. The western Alaskan city of Nome was in the grip of a deadly outbreak of diphtheria. Thousands of people could die unless an antitoxin serum hundreds of miles away in Anchorage could reach them in time. To get the serum there before it was too late, 20 mushers banded together to drive their dogs across Alaska's frozen wilderness in a daring relay. They managed to deliver the serum to Nome in just 127 hours, saving the people of the city and making headlines across the nation. Today, every musher who races in the Iditarod is honoring that achievement. But this race is not a relay. Each musher has to drive his or her dogs all the way to Nome. The race begins northwest of Anchorage at Willow Lake. From there, the teams head west, up and over Rainy Pass. Then, depending on the year, the dog sleds take a southern route via Anvik or a northern route via Galena. All teams head north past the coastal town of Koyuk, and then, after racing for almost a thousand miles, 
They arrive at the finish line in Nome. Yeah, 68 mushers are registered for this year's event and are hoping to cross that finish line, including Grand Prairie's Aaron Peck, who has taken a break from training to join us today. Hi, Aaron. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, really excited. You must be really excited. The countdown is on March 3rd. It starts. Yeah, we're excited to uh, hit the road tomorrow morning. Um, we're doing last-minute packing today, a few loose ends, um, just trying to get organized. To Aaron, head no- Aaron, what do you pack to do this? Well, um, lots of things. <laughs> uh, in the sled in particular, we have to carry some mandatory gear, um, uh, a, a proper cooking unit to melt snow for the dogs and myself, um, axe, cold weather sleeping bag, um, a few other essential items. Uh, yeah, a whole assortment of things that I feel are essential to uh, survive the trip. So you fashion. you have been training, what, at six hours uh, a day over the last uh, how many months to do this? Well, to try to put it in perspective for you, um, an average Iditarod team will um, train approximately 2,000 to 2,500 conditioning miles uh in the season the season starts back in august or september when the temperature just gets cool enough for Mm -hmm. the dogs to work in harness and um yeah so that many miles that many hours of training with the dogs it's it's really hard for one person to do that on their own um so i'm really thankful to be surrounded by such an awesome uh team of people um here first and foremost my family um with all their support but I have um, Andrea, who's my number one helper with the dogs. He's put on a, uh, a high percentage of the conditioning miles along with me. So, um, yeah, real-life calls, and there's lots of other things important in life that have to be tended to. So it's you need help to... Um, to put this many conditioning hours on the dogs. It takes a bit of a team for sure. So when you talk about conditioning hours with these dogs, is it just getting them running, getting them used? Yeah, I don't know. Is it, you know, toughening up the pads on their feet? What does conditioning mean? Yeah, it comes very gradual. Uh, any ultra human athlete would go through a similar process of beginning with uh, uh, short runs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, three to five miles in length in the early season and slowly increasing the distance as the dogs develop uh, more strength in their muscles and their tendons and their joints. Um, if you do this too quickly, you can have more injury problems. And um, But if you don't do enough, they can also have problems as well during the race if they're not conditioned enough. How do you know when you found that right balance? Well, uh, you feel it. You really do feel it. Um, the power of the team um, really comes to a head at this time of year. Uh, this is the event we're peaking for. So, you know, even a month ago, the team felt really strong, and you would think they're there. But then a month later, like the runs we have had recently, the the dogs are showing us they're ready. Um, wow. It's really uh, a surge of power that is... Uh, really special to be behind. So tell me about your team of dogs. Well, um, there's lots of relatives there, lots <laughs> of siblings and half-siblings. Uh, one of the main leaders, he's the oldest dog on the team. He's the only one on the team that's been on the race before. His name is Dakar. And Dakar, uh, he's a proud papa there. He's got lots of daughters and, and <laughs> sons on the team. So they're similar in features 
Um, they a lot of them run similarly, and but there's also several dogs that are not related that are also key members of the team. Um, certain dogs, like half the team, is capable of running in lead at the front. Um, other dogs are really strong at the back of the team, in front of the sled. We call those wheel dogs. Okay, and team dogs are in the middle and we have lots of dogs that can do both that are just really good at the back or the front so it's it's pretty cool to see uh to fit them in beside their right buddy that they like to run beside and sleep next to when we're camping (laughs) so there's lots of dynamics every dog is an individual and male and female dogs yep yeah we have both on the team um is that is that normal Yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah. Um, some people prefer the bigger, stronger males. That's what I was wondering, yeah. Um, but the females, uh, you know, what they may lack in physical uh, strength, like the dog pulling power on the line, they make up for with their agility. And oftentimes we get uh, female leaders that are just brilliant up front that even though they may not have the power, they make uh, really good decisions up at the front of the team. Aaron, I can't tell you how excited I am for you, and I this is the first time that we've ever talked. I, I was lucky enough a few years back when I was working for Global Television to go up to uh, White Horse to spend some time with a, a musher and, and her team that was preparing for the Yukon Quest. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating to watch, and um, I just, you, you were embarking on you know, when you talk about this, this last great race, I mean, you, the dogs, the sled, braving the elements, I mean, it, there is something magical about that. It is just so, I don't know, so there's a pureness, I think, to it that just captures um, the imagination. And I suspect that that's what happened to you years ago. What was it that drew you to this sport? Yeah, it's um, hard to say one thing in particular, but it was many things um, combined. Uh, when I was just 12 or 13, I saw on TV uh, the Iditarod and back in the late 80s. Um, you know, Susan Butcher, the first, uh, well, she wasn't the first woman to win the race, but she won four out of five races, and she put the Iditarod on the main stage around the world. Um, yeah, it was really awesome to see her success, and um, yeah, just the dogs. I don't, yeah, combining the dogs the adventure i have a sense for adventure i love competition i love the dogs and the landscape i love winter and this really combines all of it together aaron peck joins us on the phone he's heading up to alaska tomorrow to compete in the iditarod and this will be what your third time or your fourth time aaron actually the fifth time fifth time oh my goodness yes Yes. So what do you, you know, when you look back uh, on those on those races, those those previous races, what do you remember most about them? Or are there some significant moments that stand out? Oh, there are. Um, yeah, the <laughs> a couple of those races, uh, it, it was the opposite of what you would have expected in the middle of Alaska when it starts pouring rain. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and the trail is deteriorating. Um, those conditions can really break your heart and uh, demoralize you when you're soaking wet in the cold. And yeah, it's, um, there's the hard times, um, stand out in my memory in 2009, um, was exceptionally difficult with the wind that we encountered on the Yukon river, uh, heading North on the Yukon river. So I'm bracing for that again. Um, 
I, I feel from those previous experiences I'm better prepared mentally, especially mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the good times, you, what happens in the Iditarod, you become really tired and exhausted from the, the schedule that you lead, you know, and so you forget to look around and pinch yourself <laughs> and remember where you are and how fortunate and blessed you are to be out there with the dogs doing what we're doing like in that natural landscape doing what this traditional event you know man and dog out there traveling across alaska it's really an exception a beautiful thing and so uh yeah i you have to remind yourself through the tiredness to appreciate that so how many hours a day are you racing um i'll probably be traveling uh 14 hours a day approximately. We'll probably run a schedule like six hours on, six hours off, or seven hours on, six hours off. Um, Yeah, so that's that's approximately the schedule that we will be running. A couple of um, questions coming in from my text line says, it's a bit of a strange question, but how many pounds of dog food do you go through? Oh, well, calories, it's uh, the calorie count for these dogs is uh, somewhere between eight and 10,000. Some people have said higher uh, calories per day. Wow. So a lot of fat is required in their diet, um, fat being the highest density of calories per pound. So the dogs eat a lot of uh, chicken fat, beef fat, uh, coconut oil. Like we put a lot of these good fats and mix them with uh, raw chicken and raw beef. And then we feed a, a high-performance uh, kibble called Red Paw that um, really helps these dogs. So pound-wise, um, we shipped out 2,000 pounds for the race, but that's not all dog food. So probably uh, two-thirds of that would be dog food. Now, you don't, you, don't, you don't haul all of that. Does it get dropped off at spots, at, 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 at stopping spots? That's right. There okay. are 20, diff- 20 different checkpoints uh, where I can resupply. Mm-hmm. At each of those checkpoints, there are um, my drop bags, which have been shipped out. They're probably getting shipped out right now as we speak. Um, they had, yeah, they were due uh, late January. We had to have them shipped to Alaska so they could be ready to go out on the trail. And uh, there's also a bale of straw at every checkpoint for us to bed the dogs down with. And, yeah, so they're how that works. You know, I, from what I've been reading, that no Canadian has ever won this race. Do you think you can do it? <laughs> yeah, it's... I am a competitive person, I, and I, I I, do aspire to be the first Canadian to win the race. That is a personal goal I have. However, it, it, it's going to require a lot of patience and determination, and, and uh, we got to look at this uh, as a long game. This that isn't going to happen right away. We're not going to win the race this year. That is for sure. But, uh, <laughs> most of my dogs haven't been on the trail. Um, one of them has uh, Dakar, but they do need to travel the trail in order to be able to win the race or be more competitive in the future. So they, they do learn where they're going, and they un- when they understand what's happening better, they're, they're able to uh, run with less rest. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, maybe five or six years from now, the dogs and me will have the – our honed skills together enough to be able to um, uh, race at the front of the Iditarod. That's amazing. I mean, when you think about how grueling this race is, and this one's going to be your five, your fifth one, and you're thinking about 
many more down the road. It's uh, it's it's in your blood. You're going to keep coming back. Yeah, um, yeah. God willing, we <laughs> keep coming back and get to the start line each year. It 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 has to be managed right. It's like a professional sports team that needs to have a good foundation under it with a good team of people, a good team of sponsors, and awesome dogs. Dog care is number one. Absolutely. All these things have to be coming together. It's, uh, there's a lot of moving parts. It's not just Aaron and his dogs um, heading out on a, on a lonely trek. It's, it's this whole program that, uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's the team of people behind this has to be there and it's super important and it's not worth doing any other way. Aaron, I have to ask you this and I know you've been asked it before and uh, I think probably every musher has been. I mean, there's been some controversy and there's been a, a spotlight um, sometimes negatively shone on, on this sport by different groups, different organizations. What do you say to those who, who don't like it, who are um, naysayers when it comes to the sport of, um, of racing the dogs? Well, if one of if somebody with that um, under or that thought wants to approach us and come and see our operation and meet us and meet our dogs, we we'd be our doors would be open to them if they if they were to have an open mind and let go of their agenda for a day. <laughs> um, yeah, we 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 love our dogs, and our love goes beyond wanting to protect our dogs and keep them you know, wrapped in bubble wrap. Like, our, our dogs love to run, they love to pull, they have that adventure in them just as I do, and to withhold them from that, um, you know, that design, you know, that mm-hmm. they have would be, to me, more cruel than anything. <laughs> um, these dogs don't have fear. They they um, they love to run more than that. You have to see it with your own eyes. And... I would encourage people to have an open mind when they hear about some of these uh, controversies and different things. There, um, there is a group of the po- a certain part of the population that, um, you know, believes things that aren't true. Um, it is true, though, that uh, there are certain people in the dog sledding world that have, you know, there's bad apples mm-hmm. in every industry. Whether it's you could you could take cattle farmers or horse farmers or pet owners. You could find small examples in any of those populations uh, that are may not be caring for their animals up to the right standard. And you could make a documentary about any one of those industries and just focus it all on the negative and try to label the whole industry by that bad apple. But it's really unfair and it doesn't do any good for anyone. And um, that's that's the message that I'm carrying. I'm trying to be a positive uh, light in this dog sledding world by um, displaying top-notch dog care, um, doing good things for the community. We do dog sled rides at our local ski hill. We go to schools. We do presentations. We try to inspire young people to get outside and, and seek adventure or seek their passion and try to, you know, live their life to their fullest uh, potential, whatever it may be that calls them. So that's the reason we're doing this in addition to, of course, we want to be competitive in the race, but that's the, the, 
by being uh, successful in Iditarod, we just hope that gives us a greater platform to be able to carry this positive message. Yeah, and to share it with others. Aaron, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. We will be watching closely on the Iditarod uh, webpage. I was on there today. Um, I, I hope that maybe uh, when, when you've recovered from the race, we'll be able to uh, dial you up again and find out how it went. Hey, I would love that. And thanks for sharing this and being a part of it. Aaron Peck, thank you so much. Good luck and safe travels tomorrow. Okay, thank Bye-bye you very now. much. Bye-bye. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.